0: I was 10 years old, and I went to a a birthday party with my friends, and uh, it was a sleepover, and my friend's dad took us to a movie, and this movie was Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and you're probably thinking, he doesn't look that old, right? (laughs) I'm not, okay? So, um, the digitally remastered version came out, and they were putting it back in the theaters, okay? So... We went, I had never seen any of the Star Wars movies before this, okay, and I know that I'm jumping into the second one, or if you really know your Star Wars well, the fifth one in chronology, but second one that was made, right, and I had never seen any of it, didn't know anything about it. And I walk in, sit down with my friends, and, you know, his dad was really talking it up, um, but literally, from the opening credits that are scrolling up, and I can't catch up because I couldn't read that fast yet, but um, from the opening credits, I was fascinated by this movie. I mean, I was just in awe of this movie. Everything about it, the, the, the force, this weird creature that they cut open to keep warm, um, the, the lightsabers, the, the, the Darth Vader, Yoda, Right? I mean, just all of it, I, the, the weird brother, sister, father relationship, spoiler alert, you know, that stuff going on. I'm like, what? what is this? Why have I never seen this? My parents are holding out on me, right? Uh, I, I was just I was, I was captivated by this movie. And I'm sure you have seen a movie or a TV show like that as well, where you're just from the, from the very opening scene, you're just drawn in and sucked in the whole time or maybe you've met a person like this or, or seen a person, um, maybe not even in person but on a screen or something where you're just drawn in, a speaker or maybe a significant other where you're just drawn into them and you just hang on to every word they say and you just are eating it up. Luke 19 is all about Jesus doing that to people, captivating their hearts, fascinating them, From the moment they encounter him. So if you'll turn to Luke 19 with me. We're going to look at how captivating Jesus is. And according to dictionary.com. Captivating means this. It means to attract and hold the attention or interest of. To attract and hold the attention or interest of. To To be fascinated by someone or something. Jesus captivates. So as we read this today. My prayer is that maybe for the first time or for the thousandth time that you would be able to marvel at how captivating Jesus is. That, that as you read about him, that you yourself would be captivated just like the people that he encounters. See, he, he arrests people's attention and he keeps it, even the people who don't like him. And he does this unlike any movie or show ever could. And he does it like any, unlike any person ever can or will in your life. So I want you to explicitly see where I'm getting this from. Jesus captivating people at the end of the chapter. And then we'll go back to the beginning. So I want to start with verse 47. Luke chapter 19, 47 and 48. So you can scroll or turn to the very end there. Reason the CSB. Does every day he, Jesus, was teaching in the temple and the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him, but they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what they heard. There it is. Jesus captivates. So now let's rewind and go to verse 1 and we're going to see how Jesus captivates a guy you may have heard of up in a tree, Zacchaeus. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house." Verse 6, so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much today Salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Amen. So Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a really unlikely culprit to be captivated by Jesus. Here's why. Verse 2. He's a chief tax collector. He, he's not just a tax collector. Tax collectors at this time were known for extorting money from people. They took a lot off the top for themselves, more than they should have. But he's not one of those. He's in charge of those who do it. He's the mob boss, so to speak. Okay? He's the chief tax collector. He led and organized the whole shady operation. So super unlikely to be captivated by someone like Jesus. He's chief tax collector. Second, he's rich. We learn in verse 2, it just says it. He's a rich guy. And we just saw last week in chapter 18 how hard it is to follow Jesus and to be rich. It's not impossible, right? With Jesus said in chapter 18, with God all things are possible, but it's difficult. It's difficult because when, when you're rich, It's hard to not make riches your God. And so that's just what Jesus was pointing out in chapter 18. So he's pretty unlikely to be captivated by Jesus because he's already captivated by riches. And the third reason he's unlikely to be captivated by Jesus is because he's short. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I I have a fair amount of short people in my life. So no offense if you are of the shorter variety, but um, it doesn't pay to be short in a crowd, Okay? Any short person who's been to a concert knows that, okay? You're you're just like, I can't see the person I came to see, you know? You're trying as best as you can, but you just can't do it. So he is not set up well physically to be able to even see him, much less hear him and be captivated by him. But he's a smart guy, so he climbs up in a tree, and Jesus sees him in the tree as he passes by, Which is fascinating that Jesus would even look up into a tree to see somebody. But he does. And he notices Zacchaeus. And Jesus, in verse 5, invites himself over. Hey, I'm going to stay at your place. Now, I don't care what culture you're in. That's never been a very kind, welcoming thing to do. To invite yourself over. Okay? And that's what Jesus does here. Some would have been embarrassed by this from Jesus. I mean, they would have been like, man, who is this guy to invite himself to my house? Or Zacchaeus could have been like, you know what? I don't deserve to have you as a guest at my house. Do you know what I do? Do you know who I am? I'm a sinner. But Zacchaeus doesn't respond like that at all. He instead joyfully welcomes Jesus and repents. He, He doesn't care what other people think of him. They're saying things. Right, But he doesn't care, and he doesn't mind at all that Jesus just invited himself over. We read in verse 6, it says, He quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. What a beautiful response of a captivated heart. Quickly. No delay. It's like he couldn't wait for Jesus. Jesus noticed me. He comes running down, and he comes down quickly, and he welcomes him joyfully. It's like Zacchaeus had been waiting for something like this his whole life. And he embraces it with open arms. Yes, it's happening. And in verse 8, Zacchaeus repents. He turns away from making money his God any longer. And he turns towards Jesus. And he repents in a super practical way. Sometimes you see even in scripture, people repent. And you're like, that's cool. What did that look like? We see what it looked like. He gave away half of everything he had to the poor, okay, which is crazy. Think of of it today if you just decided half of everything I have going to the poor. And then a quarter, no, not a quarter, four times the amount of any money he's cheated anyone out of ever. And we know that he's cheated a lot of people out of a lot of money. Why is Zacchaeus doing all of this? He's doing it because Jesus is that captivating. He sees Jesus and he can't help but respond in this way. Zacchaeus sees Jesus for who and what he really is. Beautiful, captivating. In verse 9, Jesus welcomes Zacchaeus with open arms. He says, salvation has come to this house. He is now a son of Abraham. Now many of them would have heard this and been like, Son of Abraham, this guy isn't Jewish. That's that's not possible. But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus meant not ethnicity. He meant you're a son of Abraham in that Abraham had his faith, his trust in God counted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham, sorry, Zacchaeus here is now a son of Abraham. He is putting his full faith and trust in God. John the Baptist foretold what we're seeing here in Luke 3:8. John the Baptist said, Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Well, here we see some fruit consistent with repentance. He's giving away all this money. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And this is what's happening. He's going, No, 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 you guys missed it. It's not about your ethnicity, it's not about your skin color, it's not about who you grew up with as your parents. No, it has to do with your trust, with your faith in the Lord. And Zacchaeus is captivated by the grace of God. You see Abraham. You read about Abraham in Genesis. He was just this random guy. Nothing super special about him. And God chooses to make him the father of his chosen people. Why? Because of God's grace. And the same thing happens to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is captivated by the grace of God and he knows he's an undeserving recipient of God's love just like Abraham was. So Jesus here, get this, the captivating one is now captivated and drawn to Zacchaeus. Why him? I mean, I just explained all the reasons why it shouldn't be him. There's no sane reason why Jesus would even notice this guy. But we here we find out in verse 10 why Jesus describes the crux of his whole mission to seek and to save the lost. Put another way, Jesus' whole mission is to captivate the hearts of unlikely, undeserving people. So, anyone here ever feel like they don't belong? Right? And, and anyone ever feel alone even in a room full of people? Anyone feel unnoticed by much of anyone sometimes? Anyone feel like no one quite gets them? Anyone feel unwanted? Here's the good news. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He didn't just come to seek and save abstract them, the lost out there. Sometimes in Christian circles, we talk about the lost. It's it's those people, right? Right? Jesus really loves those people. Here's the deal. That's me. That is you. See, apart from the grace of God, this is all of us. And Jesus sees you. Jesus sees me. He sees us up in that tree and he's captivated by us. Get this. The captivating one is drawn to us. We don't deserve it. We know it. He knows it, yet there he is, seeking us. He sees us in all of our mess, all of our sin, all of our insecurities and fears and weaknesses, and in an unexpected turn of events, invites you into his arms. See, part of what makes so, Jesus so captivating himself is his fascination with lost, undeserving people like you and me. Jesus captivates Zacchaeus. Next, we're going to see in the next section, verses 11 to 27, that when people are captivated by Jesus, if they're truly captivated, they'll become good stewards. They'll take care of everything that God has given them, which is everything. So verse 11 And as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that they could find out how much they had made in business. And the first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter. Have authority over ten towns. And the second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, master, here's your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you. Since you're a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. And he told him, I will condemn you about what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank?" And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this section, just to be straightforward with you. A couple weeks ago, um, I preached on Luke chapter 16, and that message had almost the exact same theme in it and almost the exact same parable. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But I just want to point this out. This guy who, was given, who, who gives back to Jesus 10 minas and gets 10 towns clearly was captivated by Jesus. He was faithful with what was entrusted to him. Why? Because he loved the king. He was captivated by the king. See, when you're captivated by Jesus, you start to treat money and you start to treat stuff and everything you have like it's Jesus's and not yours. That's the point here. So I'm gonna move on to the next section. Here we see Jesus captivating a crowd, verse 28 to 44. When he had said these things, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and he approached Bethpage and Bethany, and at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as they had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their their clothes on the colt and helped Jesus get on... As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. And now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives. And the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all, for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, The stones would cry out. And as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone ...on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. So first here, we see that Jesus captivates two of his disciples. He tells them to go and get this donkey. Now here's what would have been so captivating to these guys. Put yourself in their shoes for a second. First, Jesus knows the exact location of this donkey... You're one of these guys and you get there and you're like, how did he know this would be right here? Right? But then Jesus knew that this donkey had never been ridden before. And I don't know what the signs were of that, but they got there and clearly this donkey had never been ridden before. And third, Jesus knew the password, so to speak, if they got questioned. So they get there and someone asks him, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, "Uh, the Lord needs it. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, the Lord needs it. And they're like, cool. And they walk away with the donkey, right? If you were in their shoes, you'd be like, what is, wow. Jesus is amazing. I mean, obviously I'm a disciple of his, but this is crazy. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's demonstrating his all-knowing sovereignty, even over the details. Imagine how stunned and amazed these guys would have been. But don't miss verse 36. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. In John's account, we see that they were spreading clothes and palm branches. That's where we get Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter from. They're so captivated. They're so, they're so moved and fascinated by Jesus that they're literally giving him the red carpet treatment. You see, they, no, you don't lay down palm branches and clothes on the road for anyone. No, you'd only do it for kings. And you do it to really honor them. And that's what they're doing. This crowd is so captivated that they praise Jesus joyfully with a loud voice, it says in verse 37. They're so moved, they're so amazed by Jesus, they, they, they couldn't contain their excitement and their joy anymore. So they just had to shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're shouting this out. And they're captivated by his miracles in verse 37. So they're amazed by his very presence here, but they're also thinking back, hey, do you remember when he raised that gal from the dead? Do you remember when he delivered that guy from several demons? Do you remember when he cured this person from leprosy? Do you remember this and this? They're they're having these thoughts in their head and they just can't help but shout, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And they're captivated in verse 38. Don't miss this. They're captivated by the fact that Jesus is God. His deity. So they they quote Psalm 118 verse 26 in the first part. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But then they say peace in heaven. And glory in the highest heaven. Why would there be peace in heaven? Because this is not an ordinary king. This is the king of kings who is king of heaven and of earth. So he is bringing peace, not just to them, but to the whole universe. And they recognize him as such, the king of the universe, God himself. And they're captivated. And this whole scene is captivating, probably to some of them then, but especially to us today, because it is clear That this is a specific fulfillment of prophecy. Look at Zechariah 9.9 with me here for a second. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How specific is that? Jerusalem. He's literally riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Hundreds of years after this is written, fulfilled. Jesus is incredibly captivating. And Jesus is even captivating the people who are denying him. Verse 39, we get these, Pharisee, these Pharisees, and they're so fixated and captivated by Jesus that they see him as a real threat to their religious power. So we got to shut this thing down. And Jesus responds in verse 40. He's like, you can do that if you want. But if everyone's quiet, the rocks are going to start singing my praise. The stones will cry out. See, that is how captivating Jesus is. It is not dependent on other people even noticing him. He's still that amazing. He is still that captivating. Think of it like this. Any level of fame or of stardom in our world right now is completely determined by other people's opinions. Even, even a talented quarterback like, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes, right? Even, even a guy like him, if no one cares about slinging a pigskin around on a, on a grass field and tackling other guys, then... If no one cares about that, he's suddenly not popular. It doesn't matter what he can do with a football. If no one celebrates his talent, he's not popular. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus, in contrast, is objectively captivating, even if people don't notice it. He is the definition of beauty and power of grace. So if he displays it, If people don't recognize it, the earth itself is going to start shouting his praise. No human can do that. Jesus does. In verse 41, in stark contrast to the crowd's praise, did you catch this? Jesus is crying. He's weeping. Why? Because he knows that very soon the people of Jerusalem are going to kill him. They're going to crucify him. The very people who are shouting, praise the Lord, Hosanna, giving him the red carpet treatment are going to turn on him and crucify him. And not long after that, this whole city, Jerusalem, will be destroyed. Now most in this city are Jews. By ethnicity are God's People. And this city itself is where you go to worship God at the temple. But most of them are going to miss the fact that God himself, Jesus, pursued them and was right there with them. And in verse 44 it says they did not recognize that God visited. Jesus is weeping because he realizes that most of this town that he's entering is missing the whole point. And he's going to miss it. He's heartbroken. But Jesus is objectively captivating. You can deny it like the Pharisees. You can miss it like the whole of Jerusalem. But it's not going to change his objective wonder. And it won't change his heart for people. And for you and for me. Pursuing. Loving. In the last section we see that Jesus captivates everybody. Everybody. Verse 45, he went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling. And he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him. But they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what they heard. So let's start with this temple scene in verses 45 and 46. You better believe Jesus captivated people with his actions here. He undoubtedly creates a scene. Why is he creating this scene? Here's why he's not. This is what we tend to think when we read this. But we don't understand the cultural context. He's not doing this because they shouldn't have been selling stuff there. It was actually necessary for them to sell stuff. They were selling sacrifices so they could go into the temple and offer sacrifices, literally dead animals, as well as other things that they needed to worship God in the way that he prescribed in his law. He creates a scene because they're selling this stuff in the only place in the temple that non-Jews could worship God, in the only place that they could go. Right? It's like, let's say we had a prayer room at our church, which would be great to have at some point, but you have a prayer room at our church, and you walk in, and people are in there selling Snickers and stuff, and you're like, well, Snickers aren't bad, right? That's great, right? People are like, I don't, I wanted to pray, right? I'm not going to pray now. Okay, I'll go, I'll get out of here, right? But imagine that's the only place you could go to worship. This is what was happening. They were casting out Everyone who wasn't Jewish and going, no, I'm sorry, you don't have a place to worship. And it, it gets Jesus upset. He is righteously angry here for good reason. And he creates a scene. Because this was meant to be a place of prayer for all nations, for everybody. And Jesus is so captivating here. Because he's showing his pursuit and care for everyone. Jews, Gentiles, rich, Poor, everyone, and he's turning heads here because this guy, Jesus, is showing that he cares about everyone the same. He even captivates these religious leaders. They were trying, they they denied him, and they're so threatened by him that they're spending their time trying to figure out how to kill him. But they're captivated by how captivating Jesus was to other people. But instead of embracing him, they selfishly try to get rid of him. It's a move of self-preservation. They wanted to to make themselves look better. They didn't want Jesus to take their throne. And even though the response is very different and very twisted, nonetheless, they were fascinated and captivated by Jesus. In verse 48, 48, it says that this crowd is captivated by his teaching. Other translations say they hung on his every word. They hung on his every word. Every word that Jesus taught was savored and enjoyed and picked apart because it was that captivating. And this is Jesus. This is Jesus, not just then. This is Jesus today. He is captivated in every word he says. In the Bible, God's word that we have with us is captivating and worth hanging on to and savoring and enjoying. You know, I remember one of the first times in my life after coming to know Christ as a teenager that I really savored it and and enjoyed God's word like this and hung on to every word and was captivated by Jesus through his word. And it was in Psalm 139. And I just kept coming back to it and going over it and hanging on to every word. love it when that happens. And so today, we need to let Jesus captivate us problem is though is we might be tempted to say yeah it's it's way more difficult though to be captivated by Jesus today it's different these people were right there with Jesus he was flesh and blood right in front of them doing miracles so of course they were captivated by him so how am I supposed to be captivated by him I don't get that luxury today And that is understandable, but I would just caution you. You missed two important things if you're thinking this. First, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and many others missed out on Jesus when he was right in front of them. He was right there doing these miracles, giving this teaching, and many of them just sat there and scoffed at him and even tried to kill him. Secondly, if you know Jesus, if you are a follower of him, God is with you in a more powerful, impactful way than he would be if he was right here in the flesh with you today. God himself is is in you and with you. The Holy Spirit. Look at John sixteen seven. It says, Nevertheless, Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now, Pastor J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, which, by the way, Jesus Continued, great book on the Holy Spirit. Highly recommended. He says this about this verse in John 16. He says, Jesus claimed that having the Holy Spirit in them would be better than having them beside them. Wow. Let that sink in for a moment. The Spirit, Jesus explained, could apply the word more powerfully than he did because he could speak it into the deep recesses of our heart at just the right moments. Jesus Can captivate your heart today more effectively than when he was on earth. Because something happens to you. Guess what? If Jesus is here on earth, good luck getting his attention. Everyone's trying to get his attention. And then, even more so, good luck then getting the opportunity to have these deep conversations. But the Holy Spirit gives you instant access all the time. You need encouragement, you need wisdom. You're walking down a path and you you, you know that it's wrong and you need some strength. He is there. Boom. Holy Spirit, strength, empowerment, encouragement, pulling us back from situations when we're walking down the wrong path. We need that. And we have it all the time. Jesus in us is better than Jesus right beside us. See, Jesus is captivating. So let him captivate you. Now, I could now give you a list of things to put yourself in a position to be captivated by Jesus, but I'm just going to give you one today, and it comes from something my, my friend Greg Picklap sent to me a couple weeks ago. So thanks, Greg. Here we go. This guy's going, why is my life so hard? Is this a test from you? Is this an attack of the devil? And Jesus is going, you literally just need to turn your phone off, read your Bible, and go outside. I love it. There, there's the application today. You want to be captivated by Jesus? Do that. I, I've been living this out this last couple weeks, you guys. I got, ever since I got this, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, it really is that simple, okay? Now, problems, of course, they don't go away. Life is still hard. We live in a broken world, right? But what happens is I'm now drawn Into the captivating beauty of Jesus. And I'm reminded that He's right there with me. And so I would just encourage this. This is what I've been doing. I get up and I ignore my phone and I walk outside. And it's beautiful right now. You can do this right now. I walk outside. And I just talk to God and I look up and I'm reminded immediately, going outside reminds you, even if you're not an outside person, which I don't understand, but that's okay if you're not, um, but even if you're not, it reminds you of the creator who created everything and it draws you in like drywall cannot. And he talked to him and I've just been opening up the Bible, reading it, and I do this maybe five minutes Sometimes more, and I'm not, there's, I'm not trying to prescribe anything to you either. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. But it's calibrated my heart to the captivating, fascinating beauty of Jesus right away and sets the trajectory of my mind for the whole day. Because if you're anything like me, I look at that phone, I hop into the shower, I do anything else, I start talking to someone else, my mind just starts going places that it shouldn't go. I don't want it to go. The whole trajectory, trajectory of my day is not captivated by Jesus. Let your heart be captivated by Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does best. And here's what he does best. He shines a gigantic spotlight on Jesus. Let him do that this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this incredible view we got of you this morning in Luke 19. There's no doubt about it. You are just fascinating and captivating. So Jesus, I pray that this week, whatever that means and looks like, it doesn't have to be what I just prescribed, but whatever it is, Lord, that we would just put ourselves in a position to hear from you through your word and to talk to you undistractedly and that it would just calibrate and recenter our hearts and our minds and our lives to the only one worth calibrating our hearts and minds and lives to and that's to you, Jesus, your heart. Lord, I pray that you would go before us. I pray that as we do that this week, not just in a couple moments in the morning, but whenever, Lord, whenever we run to you, we run to the arms of our father that you would draw us in and we would sense your presence there with us God and even the times where we don't feel it Lord that we would realize that the truth is that you are right there and your word is still true and you are still good and love us the same in Jesus name I pray amen